So we, uh, we, we all are in the same boat. So part of what, what I hope from this series is, is that we're able to recognize that because part of, part of what we've done poorly at times in the church is we haven't communicated to normal people that Christian people are normal too. And so and the reality is this, that there's none of you in here and nobody online that hasn't experienced um, the, hard, the hard things about life. Amen? Right? They, being a Christian, and I don't, right, we live in a world where there's constantly people who are um, trying to tell you that God's desire for you is that you have no pain, you're never sick, uh, God's desire is for you to be blessed all the time, and all of that is predicated on your ability to give and your ability to trust, and as long as you can give and trust and sow that seed, then God's going to be bountiful in his blessings to you. Listen, that's not biblical. There's, there's nothing about that that's biblical. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of promises that God makes about our generosity and his faithfulness. But to build a, uh, to build a theology on that um, ends up running people into some really bad places, not just financially but emotionally as well. And so we want to talk about it from the perspective that all of us have these problems and struggles. And the first time that we met, we talked about this idea of our narratives, right? These stories that we tell ourselves, right? Uh, we talk about this idea that, you know, we create these boxes, these prisons that we live on based upon the things that we tell ourselves all the time, right? I've told you about my 16-year-old daughter who wants a car, has a license, wants a car, right? And I've told her, listen, I get it. We're going to get you a car. But her thing is, no, you're not. You just say that. You're not going to get me a car, right? Because her narrative in her head has created this box that she says, listen, dad's just going to say he's going to give me a car, but he's really not going to give me a car. So he's never going to give me a car because he just doesn't care. Or they waste their money on all these stupid things. And then this narrative just plays over and over and over in her head. So you know what I'm talking about, right? You get into a fight, you get into an argument with your, with your best friend or your spouse. And all of a sudden these narratives start playing out in your head, right? When you're trying to listen to this other person and it's these narratives that often keep us in the bondage of these, of these things. And I want to try to tonight take that a step further. So, you know, I'm going to use a couple of phrases. Some of you will have heard it. Some of you may not have heard it, but I'm going to use the phrase, uh, tonight a lot felt need. How many of you've heard the phrase felt need? Okay. Four of you, right? All right. So how many of you ate lunch today or ate at all today because you had a felt need of hunger, right? How many of you slept last night because you felt had the felt need of being tired, right? Those are felt needs, right? Some of you are having a felt need right now that this needs to be over soon, right? 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 So we are people, and I don't want to get lost down in this, but we are people that live our lives a lot of our time based upon our felt needs, right? I'm hungry. Where are we going to go eat? Right? I'm tired. When are we going to go to sleep? Right? I'm happy. I'm sad. I'm lonely. I'm hurt. I'm disappointed. I'm, everybody tracking with me? Right? So we get it. We are people that are born with the ability to have all of these felt needs in our lives. The question that our church at some level is wrestling with at a large, to a large degree is how do we preach to people 
who've been raised with the idea that your felt needs are the most important things in the world for the church, for Jesus, for God, the gospel to address, right? Because the reality is this, that if all we do is speak to your felt needs, how long are your needs satisfied, right? Listen, I slept last night, but I guarantee you at some point in time, I'm going to need to sleep again. I ate today. I'm pretty certain that by the time this thing is over and I go home, I'm going to want to eat again. And then I'm going to want to eat again and again and again, right? But that's a, that's a whole different other sermon, right? So, so here's the challenge, right? If you're raising a Generation Z person, is that the right name? Somebody smarter than me? Shane, is that right? Shane knows this lingo. He's hip, right? Uh, the generation, the millennials, right? You know what it's like to be around people who live constantly upon based how they feel, right? Their felt need matters, right? Listen, when I grew up, how I felt never entered into the equation, right? It's time to eat supper. I'm not hungry. Who cares? Sit down and you're eating supper, right? I don't like stewed tomatoes. Who cares? You're going to eat everything off of your plate, right? It's time to go to bed. I'm not tired. Who cares? Right? I mean, that was the generation that I was raised in. And I guarantee you that what little grace my parents gave me, they got none of that from their parents who raised them. Right? We have since raised a generation. We have since raised subsequent generations where the felt needs have become prominent about everything that we discuss. Right? We even go so far as to do stuff like this. Excuse me. We're taught now when you counsel people and listen to them, you have to say things like this. I hear you. Right? I hear you. Right? And I, and I understand, right? We, our job is to first and foremost affirm the person who's on the other side. Now listen, don't get me wrong. I think we've done a terrible job in the past of ignoring the humanity of people And since that was okay for the sake of the gospel, Jesus never did that. Jesus never forsake the humanity of people, right? When dealing with them from a gospel sake, listen, all you have to do is read the story of people like Zacchaeus and people like the woman at the well. He did not approach the woman at the well and ignore her felt need of being lonely. As a matter of fact, he used the gospel to speak to her felt need to say, if you simply believe in me, the water that you will drink will keep you from ever being thirsty again. And her response was, give it to me so that I never have to come here again. So I never have to be reminded of my loneliness and my pain and the suffocating absence of any friends in my life because of my shame and of my embarrassment. Jesus didn't come back to her and mock her for her felt need. He turned her to the gospel and he always did it with compassion. Listen, we've done a terrible job of that in the past. I mean, we, we did a terrible job of that as parents. We did a terrible job of that at times in our churches and our schools. And we ignored the felt need of people and we moved on with our agenda. Now we've swung the pendulum the other way. And everything is about people's felt need. And the reality is, if you're triggered by this, then we're not going to do it. Right? We're just not going to have it. We're not going to do it because your need is more important than any form of truth. Listen. I just, I'm not built that way. I'm just not built to be one extreme or the other. I don't think it makes any sense for us to 
to live that far left or that far right. There's got to be something more appropriately truthful in the middle. And I believe, listen, I believe that there is. And I believe that all of that stuff is tied to a much, much, much bigger issue that I really want to get in today. Because listen, there are people sitting in this church today and there are people watching online today and they are people who have been hurt and abused and neglected and betrayed, right? They have true, honest to God felt needs that were of their, were of none of their doing. Amen. To ignore that when we preach the gospel to me is irresponsible. But to make that need greater than the power of the gospel is heretical, right? And I want us to learn how to get that right because I want us to learn how to raise our children right. I want us to learn how to raise our grandchildren right. I want us to do that well in the church because as we continue to keep our doors open and we continue to try to... Listen, that's why we have the food pantry. We have our food pantry to milk the felt, to meet the felt needs of people who are hungry. We are commanded to do so, right? It's why we have the Jesus Clinic. Because we created it to meet the felt needs of individuals who worked and couldn't afford insurance, right? We have all of those ministries designed to meet people's felt needs. Divorce care, biblical counseling, grief share, right? All of those things. Why? Because there are real people in our midst that have real pain and real hurt, right? And our job, at some level, because of our love for God and compassion for others, we share with them... How to meet their felt need. What's the Bible say? Bear one another's burdens. What's a burden if it's not a felt need? We have to stop recognizing that our job is to carry that person's load. That's their responsibility. But there are times we have to come in along. But how does the gospel and its power play into that? Because listen, some of you this year are going to deal with financial loss. Some of you are going to deal with a broken relationship. Some of you are going to deal with um, any number of struggles, addictions, or whatever. Some of you are going to deal with a diagnosis of cancer. Some of you are going to deal with, you name it, when it comes to your child. We are all going to deal with something this year that we didn't plan on it. Right? Because how many of you had something come up in 2019 that you did not plan on? Right? And here's the thing, if we can't as believers in Jesus and people who put their trust in a God who created everything and holds everything in his hand, if we can't learn how to trust that God, we are not going to be a very good representative of who God is to the people who are far from him. Amen. Right? So how do we do that better? So I, I gave you a piece of paper tonight with two words on it, basically, uh, deceit, right? And truth. And that's what we're going to talk about. So I've got a passage of scripture I'd like to read with you guys. So if you don't mind standing out of respect for God's word, let's just read these few verses together. Oh, you can't see it. Well, how about if I just read to you then? All right. So, whoo, look at that. Yeah. All right. So here we go. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, he's speaking to Pharisees or in an argument or discussion with Jesus, right? And once again, if God were your father, Jewish religious people, you'd love me. For I've come here from God and I've not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is, everybody say it with me, no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar 
and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Whoever, or can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. And listen to John 8, 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed him, he said this, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen, church? All right, why don't you guys just grab a seat. Let's talk about a couple things here. Listen, I, I think at times we've done... For me personally, I think we've done, and I've, listen, I've spent time preaching over the last 30 years and teaching without any connection that the audience that I was speaking to really had any hurts or hangups, right? We, for years, I remember celebrating certain holidays in churches and it never dawned on me that there were people in the church that didn't feel the same way about that holiday, Right? It was never difficult for me to celebrate Mother's Day because I was blessed with an incredible mother. It never dawned on me all the years that I was leading churches that there were times and there were people sitting in a room as we celebrated a holiday celebrating mothers that they didn't have a good mother. That didn't dawn on me. And I think shame on us for, for ever becoming that way in the church. But we've also now sort of slid to the other side where we're so concerned about that that we almost compromise the integrity of God's word and what he would say about it to people in that situation. And I just think there's a better way to do it. I think that there's a way for us to find a healthier, healthier mental ground. Because listen, if you're here at Tomoka because we do a fantastic job of meeting your felt needs all the time, then we have lied to you. If that's the only reason you're coming, after all this time, because listen, we believe in that stuff around here, right? I mean, you guys support it. You give it money to it. You give your time to it. We have people who, who open the food pantry five days a week to make sure that we meet needs. We serve in all of these places because we recognize that Jesus commanded us that if we see our brother in need, we're to help them out, right? Amen, church? But that's not the reason we're here. Jesus didn't say, let's build an $11 million building right on Hand Avenue and just spend all of our time meeting people's felt needs. Because how often do people have felt needs? All the time. We've been given a much greater mission, and the mission is for us to really dealt with what is almost always an unfelt need, the greater need behind the felt need. And that's the need to be back in a relationship with God, to be restored to the person that gave us our life in the very beginning, Right? And in that restoration, we can be, we can begin to be healed. We can begin to be taken care of because the power of the gospel, right? The power of the gospel, the power of our salvation is greater than any felt need we could ever have, right? We were all, I don't know if we were all, but a large part of the world this week was in shock at Kobe Bryant's death in the helicopter crash, right? Him and his daughter and, and those other seven passengers, Right? The world at, at, at large was in shock at the death of a guy who at 41 years of age had everything the world could offer. Right? As a matter of fact, his felt need to avoid traffic led him to purchasing a helicopter that he used on a regular basis to go the hour and a half he had to go to help coach his daughter's basketball game. He did it while he played. 
because he wanted the felt need of being home more to be priority. So he invested in this helicopter, right? He died this week. Tragic, tragic, right? 41 years here. All of his felt needs on a day-to-day basis, constantly being addressed. And at the end of that 41 years, he had to answer for the one unfelt need, right? That we all have to answer to. And now, and now Kobe will spend the rest of eternity based upon his response to that unfelt need. And listen, that's, that's why we're here, right? We're here because we want people to come into a relationship of faith in Jesus so that their unfelt need, until that Holy Spirit you know, causes that in them to rise to the top, we want that unfelt need to be met for all eternity. Amen, church? Right? And we, be- listen, we believe that more than I hope anything else as leaders and pastors that there is, right? That it's the power of the gospel to, to whoever believes, right? It's the power of the gospel to save us, to change us, right? To bring us into right relationship with God. And here's the thing. If all of our time is spent addressing your and my felt needs, we're going to misplace the priority of the preaching of the gospel to see people saved. Amen, church? And I think we can do both. But here's the problem. We have an enemy, right? We have an enemy. I'm going to read some verses, okay? Where's my, you ready? Philippians 2, 3. So if you guys want to write these down in your notes, you can read them for later. But let's read a couple of scriptures just to get us in the right frame of mind from, from, from biblical perspective, right? Because listen, everybody in here has felt needs, Amen. Some of them you've shared with others. Some of you have kept them to yourselves, right? But all of us have felt needs, whether those felt needs are good, whether those felt needs are based upon pain and hurt and betrayal, right? Whatever those felt needs are, we all have them. Can I get an amen? Right? We are people that have emotions and have a brain that connects us to the expressing of those emotions, which are often tied to what we would consider our felt needs. Amen? Right? Where does the gospel and the preaching of it fit in relationship to us as a church and to you and I as individuals? Here's what Philippians, do you have Philippians 2, 3? Here's what it says. These are just verses to help us understand the order first. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others. Everybody say others. Above who? Above yourself. Is that easy to do? No, no, it's not. Right? No, we're not good at that. How about this one? Galatians chapter 2, 19 and 20. Right? So, and there's several other scriptures. I'm not going to read all of them. But here's what I want you to get about the gospel. The gospel establishes an order for us to exist in all the time. Right? And the order matters. Listen, I believe that God's economy always is based on order. I believe that God is a God of order. Right? And a God of peace, not a God of confusion. Amen? Right? So here's what it says in this verse. Galatians 2, 19 and 20. Very first verse I ever memorized. It says, Through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me 
and gave himself up for me. Amen, church? Right? So here's the thing about the gospel, and there's so many others. John 13, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, Matthew 23, all over. Here's the order. Others, now I'm not talking about God, he's preeminent, right? But in relationship to people, it's others first, me, everybody say second, right? Others first, me second. Let's say it together. Others first, me second. Here's the thing about felt needs, right? Felt needs when expressed often come with the order reversed. Me first, you second. And so as my friend told me tonight, today when we were talking about this, he said, I don't think that the felt need is the issue first. He said, I think for Christian people, the issue is order. And that order is this, that I am the most important person in my world. Right? It's about me first and others second, where the Bible teaches us as believers in Jesus, others first, me second. Listen, we don't live in a culture like that anymore, do we? We live in a culture today where every one of our young kids is being told that they are the most important person in the world. Every foible, every hang up, every issue, every felt need, it takes priority over everybody and everything else. And that is based upon an order. Now listen, way back in the day when my granddad was raising my dad and my dad was trying to raise me, right? They didn't even make room for your felt need in the equation, right? It is, you do it because I said it and that's enough, right? If my dad saw the way my 16-year-old daughter talked to me sometimes in our interactions, he would lose his mind. Right? But I'm completely comfortable with a little back and forth with my mouthy teenager. It doesn't offend me because here's the thing. It doesn't change the order in my world. And it certainly gives her value as a human being. It's when I allow her to change the order that we have problems. Right? When she becomes the parent and I become the child, we've got a problem in the home. Her expressing her felt need to her father who loves her does not, does not change the order. Right? And we've got to learn that, listen, just expressing the felt need doesn't change the order. But here's the thing. If you and I are ever going to handle life's curveballs well, we've got to get the order right. And here's the order. As followers of Jesus, we died, we died to our old life in Christ. And we now are commanded by Jesus to put others above ourselves. And let me tell you. When you're struggling with a felt need, when you're struggling with your own issues, when your own lives and all those things, and you're trying to handle them well, the minute you move to the front of the list by your own choosing, you've made it complicated, right? Because listen, when you're at the front of the order and you're being ignored on a regular basis, that doesn't go well for anybody, right? Nothing makes me, listen, I tell you this all the time, nothing makes me crazier than drive through windows, right? And I know you're thinking, well, if they drive you crazy, stay at home and eat. Listen, stay out of my business, right? We can't, right? But I hate, I hate coming to a drive-thru window and I see people inside chatting and talking and ignoring me when I'm at the window. I waited my turn. They don't know whether I waited patiently or impatiently, but when I'm in the first of the line and you haven't even opened the window to acknowledge my presence, my hand sits perched right over the horn, right? I'm, I'm ready to let you know that I'm here. And here's the thing, 
for Christian people, for us who've put our faith in Jesus, God establishes the order pretty well. Others first, say it with me, right? Others first, me, consider others more important than yourself. Because here's the thing, we're going to never be able to fight the battle of Satan's deceit if we always keep ourselves in the front of the line. Because here's the thing, we're, we're emotional people, right? Some of you are great at expressing emotion. Let me see my fellow emotional expressors, right? Like everybody sees it on your face, hears it in your voice. Who, who's the emotional expressors, right? Others of you had deep-seated emotional responses, but nobody ever sees it. Come on, let me see you, right? I know you, you're in the room, right? But here's the thing, we all have them, right? We're not made by God as a robot. We're made with these things. Just look at your newborn child. They're not born without emotional responses, right? I mean, the first thing the mom wants to hear in the room after delivery is what? The baby crying, which is a what? It's, an, it's a physical response to an emotional feeling, right? Fear, pain, anxiety, whatever. Here's my voice to it, right? God created us that way. We're never going to avoid that, church. No human avoids that kind of response to the world and its circumstances. God didn't tell us to not avoid it. Here's what he did. He said, listen, if you're going to avoid the liar, and listen, when Satan speaks to you, he speaks nothing but lies because there isn't any truth in his mouth. And here's the thing. If you and I are going to be followers of Jesus, we've got to buy into the reality that the enemy in our life is not out there giving people cancer. The enemy in our life isn't out there causing you to lose your job. The enemy is in here telling you every lie in the world to believe you've got to be first and not second. And here's the thing. The minute you're first with your felt needs, the gospel has no power over you. Because the only thing that will work is that felt need has to be met immediately, right? Immediately. And here's the problem. Once it's met, it's not going to go away forever. It's going to come back again. So where do you go? You go back where you went the first time to get it satisfied. And if we build our church only on making sure that you're always taken care of, that's not going to work. And here's the thing. It's contrary to what the gospel says. Does that make sense to you, church? All right. Now, how about this? Let's talk about this. How about this scripture? Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. Here's the thing about lying and deceit. It has all kinds of power, right? And we're talking about, from our perspective, the enemy to the power of the gospel, right? Listen, I'm a, I'm a felt need human being, okay? For years and years and years, I was a person that if, if I felt it, you knew it because I expressed it. That's just the way I was. And if, and if I felt it and I needed to hash it out till three in the morning, you were going to stay up with me and you were going to, you were going to be a part of it, right? That's just the way I was. Cause honestly, I thought that was the only way to live, right? Through, through life and stuff, I've now changed. I'm a person that feels things deeply emotionally, but I rarely, if ever, express that emotion anymore. Most people wouldn't even know that I had any anymore. I just keep it to myself, wait till everybody goes to bed, and then I cry by myself watching a TV show. That's me, right? <clears throat> we all have those felt needs, but here's the thing. The enemy, the enemy of the gospel is the devil whose only desire in the world is to be God. You hear that, church? The, the devil has one agenda item. His to-do list every day says, be God. That's it. 
It's the only reason he's there. He wants to be God, right? And through the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Hebrews 2 tells us that Jesus destroyed him who held the power of death. That's the devil. We've been set free from this dude who holds our debt before God and we're set free through our faith in Jesus forever. Can I get an amen? Right? That's the power of the gospel at work in people's lives. Now, how does that apply to people who live on a day-to-day basis and all of a sudden my child, my spouse has cancer or I lost my job or they're foreclosing on my home or my child has gone crazy and went off the rails or you name it, you put, put the scenario in there. How does the power of the gospel work there? Well, first of all, here's how it works. You've got to stay in the right seat. Say it with me. Others first. Come on, say it again. Others first. Me. Right? If we're going to have any chance at doing life well, when life throws us curveballs, we've got to stay in the right seat. When I'm driving the car, I don't need no backseat driver. Right? And when I'm driving the car, I don't need no side passenger driver. Right? And listen, if we, if you're in the passenger seat and God's trying to drive your life and you try to scooch over and take it, that's always a problem. But when it comes to our community of felt needs, the minute you try to push yourself in front of other people and make that the most important thing and have gotten the order wrong, listen, the, the minute that happens, you're open to the lies of the devil because guess what the devil's going to tell you? He's going to tell you your need is the most important thing in the world. He's going to tell you these people don't care about you. People leave church all the time. Well, why'd you leave church? Well, I got hurt by the church. Really? How did the church hurt you? Right? Did they tie you up and beat you up and, and leave you for dead on the side of the road? No. I sent them an email and I told them about something and they didn't even want to deal with it. Or I came in and asked for help and they said no. Or I had an idea and they told me that was a terrible idea. I just got hurt by the church and I'm not coming back anymore. You want to know why that happens? Because you've gotten in the wrong seat. You've gotten out of order, right? And it happens all the time, right? And the minute we're out of order, the devil shows up and he tells us all kinds of lies. These people don't care about you. Right? They would have never hurt you if they cared about... These people say that they love Jesus and they love Jesus. They should love you. And they treated you terribly. You don't belong to this church. These people aren't real. These people aren't Christians. Go somewhere else. That's the lie the devil says. Because here's the kind of stuff he says. Matthew 13, 22 says this about deceit. The seed, he's talking about the parable of the sower. He says the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word. How many of you in here online have heard the word? Let me hear you say Amen. Right? Heard the word, right? But listen to this. The worries of this life. Anybody in here have any worries of this life? Right? The worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Right? Deceit comes in many shapes and sizes and forms in the economy of the devil. Right? How about this one? Let's read Hebrews or read Colossians chapter 2 verse 8. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. This is, this is permeating our culture today because of the availability of YouTube and access to media content on our phones, right? We all have this one. Colossians 2, 8 says this. See to it, Paul writes, that no one takes you captive, right? An army term, become prisoner, through hollow and deceptive Philosophy, which depends on human tradition 
And the elemental spiritual forces of this world, elemental spiritual forces of this world are the forces of evil in this world, right? Bring that last verse up real quick. Let me see it. Spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ, right? And that's the temptation that preachers and teachers face every Sunday, every Saturday night, every Wednesday night when they're in the pulpit. Do we teach the, 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 the hollow traditions and philosophies that have at their core the liar, the devil, so that we can deceive people rather than preach the gospel to people, right? Because here's the thing. Life's going to throw you a curveball. It may not be this week. It may not be this month. It might not even be this year. But life's going to throw you a curveball. And everything about a curve is built upon deceit. I don't know how many of you have ever played baseball or are a baseball fan, but when a pitcher stands on the mound and he throws a curveball, here's the whole intent. My job by throwing the curveball is to trick you into believing something about that pitch that isn't true, right? And when you're standing as a right-handed batter, right, and they throw that curveball and it's six inches inside of you, right, your brain tells you that ball's going to hit me, right? And you jump back and then the curveball right across the middle of the plate for a strike because a curve is designed to deceive. Listen, I'm convinced that the curveballs in our life aren't designed to deceive us, but the devil is certainly willing to show up there to deceive us. And you and I are in a very precarious position if we live our lives out of order. As followers of Jesus, it is others first, me second. If that order's wrong, you and I are prone to the liar. And here's the problem with being prone to the liar. Deceitfulness is powerful, right? Wealth is deceitful. Human beings with hollow philosophies based upon the power of evil in the world can create, right, bondage. Listen to Hebrews 3.13. Hebrews 13 talks about something that you and I deal with on a, on, a, on a regular basis. Hebrews chapter 3 says this, But encourage one another daily. Can I get an amen? Courage one another daily. If you're in the right order, that's easy to do because there's somebody always in front of you. Right? It's not hard to encourage people if you're always second and others are first. You always can do that. Because you get to see their life and you understand where they struggle. And you're always there to give them courage. But he says, Be, but encourage them daily, daily as long as it is called today. So that none of you, listen to this, none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You see, you got to be aware of the order. Pay attention, right? Stay in the mentality. Listen, when you find yourself just running rampant in your mind over the issues and the curveballs of life, the first thing you should check is, am I in the right seat? Because the reality is this, that when we put ourselves first, we rarely ever win. And if we do, it always comes at a cost. 30 years of counseling people, 30 years of being married, 35 years of raising children. I can tell you this, every time I get out of order, Things get out of whack. Because when we're out of order, we're really easily deceived, right? We're so easily deceived when we're out of order. Because all of those felt needs that we have, they, they've got to be addressed. And somebody's got to address them. And I'm at the front of the line. And I talk to you through the drive through speaker. You should be paying attention to me. And if you come to, listen, if you come to church that way, or you come to faith in Jesus that way, you're always going to be disappointed. Right? 
This church is not designed for you to come in and be the most important part of the church. I mean, it took 10 years for God to get ready to ask me if I was ready for this job because God had to change the order of my life. Because I can tell you, a large part of my life was spent with me being the most important thing in the world. And it came at a great cost to people who were around me and people who were in a relationship with me and people who worked with me and counted on me because my, listen, my intelligence, my ego, my smarts, my needs, they were always first. It took 10 years to strip that away from me where I was even remotely capable of being considered to come work at a place like this for a guy that I went to college with to be in second behind his first, right? Listen, it's the constant theme of the gospel because here's the thing, our our liar, our enemy, the deceit that he gives us can keep us into bondage to things that aren't true. It can keep us into bondage to wealth, that that's the most important thing in the world. Jesus said you can't, ter- can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. He called money a master. right? How many, Christian, how many Christian people come to church every day, every day across the world, loving Jesus, but in complete bondage to the master of money? Why? Because wealth is deceitful. It keeps us into that, into that lie, right? Or sin. I mean, how many Christian people go to church every week and all the all the one out of a worship service is to feel better about themselves because they come to church feeling lousy about themselves because of what they did on Saturday night or Friday night or last Wednesday or the, the Monday before. Right? And the only thing they measure is that they walked away feeling better. And here's the problem. If that's the goal of your life, you're missing the good news of the gospel and its transformative power in your life. And so you're stuck in this holy, unacceptable pattern. And here's the worst part about it. Let let me read this passage to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 12 through 15. You should write this one down. You should be aware of this as a follower of Jesus. Right? Listen, let's be clear here. Satan has only one goal in life. And that's to be God. Can I get an amen? Listen, that's his only agenda item. We've given, listen, we've given Satan credit for everything in the world. Ah, Satan's attacking me today. He's really after me today, right? Listen, I have no doubt that the devil has schemes for your life and plans, but he's much more concerned about being the God of the universe than he is about being the God of your life. He's comfortable letting you just be the God of your own life, right? Here's what 2 Corinthians 11 says. Listen to this. Paul says, and I'll keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under those, talking about false teachers, who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. So here's the thing about false teachers. They use their hollow philosophies to try to stand on the same ground of credibility to meet your needs as the gospel does. Paul said, I'm going to do everything I can to undercut them. He says this, these people, right? Listen to this. He says, for such people are false prophets deceitful workers and they masquerade as apostles of Christ. Meaning they have a mask on, right? To try to make themselves look like people who would follow Jesus. He says this, and no wonder that happens. Why? Listen to this. For Satan himself disguises or masquerades as what? As an angel of God is light and in him there's no darkness. And if Satan's masquerading as an angel of light, He's pretending to be God. This is what's said. It's not surprising then, if this is Satan's 
ability. It's not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of what? Righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Listen, life is going to throw you and I curveballs all the time. We can't prepare for most of them. Kobe Bryant and his family did not prepare for this. Kobe's friends did not prepare for this. Not one of them that was interviewed over the last 24 to 48 hours said this. I knew this was coming. Nobody. They're all in shock. They're all completely devastated because none of them prepared for this curveball. None of them. And Kobe didn't die having many felt needs. Because the world that he lived in, he was blessed to be able to meet most of them. The problem was, when we put the order of having our felt needs met first, you could miss the power of the gospel, right? And those who work as enemies of the gospel have as their desire to give you a false gospel of righteousness that will always meet your needs. We have to, we have to preach and we have to teach and we have to stand against that evil in our world today and in our churches, right? Because here's the good news. This is what we, we, we read it. How about John 14, 6, right? This, this is the power of the gospel because, you know, my sister Shauna and I have had a, a longstanding relationship. We had an issue when I moved here and we've reconnected uh, in the last year. And Shauna was the kind of friend, she's my sister, but also kind of friend who would always say stuff like this. She would always say, listen, I, I'm, just, I'm just telling you the truth. Right? Like, anybody got people like that in their life? Listen, do, listen don't be offended. I, I'm just keeping it real. Right? I'm just shooting you straight. Right? Because here's what they say. What they're saying that. Truth has no emotional foundation. Right? Listen, if I tell you and the math teacher tells you that two and two are four, how you feel about it is irrelevant. Amen? Right? We live in a world today that says this. Two and two is four. Well, feel like two and one or four. Well, listen, I hear you, right? I hear you and I get that, right? And, and the reality is if that, listen, if that's your truth, you just live it, right? Now that's an over-exaggeration of stupidity, but that, listen, that's, that's what we're doing. And not only are we doing it in the world, we're doing it, listen, we're doing it in the church, Listen, I spent, I spent lots of my time at odds with staff members who told me, you want to market your church to the world? You market it based on what they can get from coming here. It's wrong, right? Listen, that's not the gospel. That's false advertising. John 14, 6 says this. You can read it with me. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through me the greatest need any person has your daughter my son your granddaughter my grandson your husband my wife your friend my friend your enemy my my enemy the greatest need that anybody has is to know jesus christ because god's placed eternity in every person's heart and it doesn't matter if you meet my felt needs on a day-to-day -day basis. They'll never satisfy the eternal size hole that God has put in my heart. Only knowing Jesus 
and being reconnected to the eternal God will ever satisfy me completely. The gospel provides that power. The gospel provides that promise for all of us, right? John 8, 31 and 32, the verses that we used at the beginning, these are the words that I believe that Christians should live in. And listen, truth isn't always the softest thing to absorb, right? It's just not. I stopped it. I stopped. Listen, here, let's just read it real quick. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said this. Listen to this. If you hold to my teachings, not the hollow, right? Evil-based forces of the world's teachings. If you hold to my teachings, then you're really my disciple. You'll follow me. He said this, because you'll know the truth. You'll know the truth and the truth will what? It'll set you free, right? The elimination of this as truth creates followers of Jesus that live in bondage to something else. You know, I, I stopped it. I stopped outside of, uh, I was at Publix. I shopped. Shopped, this is me. I shopped at Publix to buy food and then I wanted to go get a sub at Jimmy John's, right? That's, or not Jimmy John's, um, Jersey Mike's. It's nine o'clock at night, five minutes till nine. They close at nine. I'm going in there to get my order. And here's the thing as I'm driving to, to Jersey Mike's away from Publix, there's a big sign right on the side there. It says, Fire lane, no parking. Anybody see it? Right? And there's like 18 of those signs. And then they even have it painted on the road with yellow lines, fire lane, no parking. So I parked there, right? And I'm sitting in there waiting on my sub. And the gal behind the counter was wrapping up, closing up a register. And she looked out and there was a bunch of flashing lights. And she looked at me and she goes, the cops are out there behind your car, right? And so, of course, I went out. Thankfully, this was a guy that I've met on several occasions. Um, <laughs> I just went up to him and I said to him, I'm, I'm really sorry, right? And he never said a word. He just looked at me and he pointed to the sign, right? And I looked and I said, I'm sorry. And then he turned and he said, like that to the, to the ground. And I apologized and he just sort of shook his head and let me go. But, but here's, here's what I got from that. Listen, the truth, the truth in that situation, one ignored, should have got me a ticket. It should have gotten me the penalty of that decision. But if I'd have just seen the truth, heard the truth, and obeyed the truth, I'd have been free from that. Right? Listen, every person you know, Christian or not, has to deal with life. And it's ups and downs and good and bad. How do we reach them with the power of the gospel? Do we tell them that their felt need is the most important thing in the world and spend their lives trying to meet it 24-7? No. Do we understand and acknowledge their humanity of pain from living in a fallen world? Absolutely. Absolutely. But ultimately... Our job is to get them the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. It's for anybody, right? And it's in that truth that we can learn to live in a world where the enemy isn't constantly winning the fight by lying to us about the right order, about what should be done, about what should be said, about how these things should be handled. Because at the end of the day, the power of the curveball is in its deceit. The greatest pitchers in the world who threw the curveball 
were effective because they had the greatest amount of deceit in the curve. Listen, the only way the enemy's going to win is by lying because he's a great liar. And we're only truly susceptible to that when we get out of order. When we get out of order, we, we downplay the power of the lie, right? And then we forget Satan ain't playing. He masquerades like angels of light. He's not trying to let you know who he is. So you have to be on guard. And your only evidence of knowing the difference between deceit and truth is this right here, right? So listen, if you're not, if you're not reading your Bible, you've got, got an app downloaded on your phone that you can read, man, I want to encourage you, not just as a pastor, but as a fellow Christian, man, that book, that book is essential to your survival in this place because it's the truth. It's the power of God for salvation. Amen. All right. Next week, we're going to talk about learning how to wait on God. All right, because the only way you're ever going to hit a curveball is you got to stay back and you got to wait and wait and wait. And so we're going to talk about that next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, uh, for truth. I know that, uh, know that when you created us in your image, you gave us those, those qualities of intellect and emotion and yet, in the world that we live in, they have been, uh, they've been hijacked by the enemy to put us in the wrong place, the wrong seat, the wrong order, and to become incredibly, decept- incredibly receptive to the lies that you tell us. God, I don't ever want to be a part of a church that ignores the humanity of people's pain. And I don't ever want to be a person or a pastor that ignores that. But Father, I never want to be a person that has forgotten the awe and the wonder and the majesty of the gospel. And so I pray that this church will hold tight to the humanity of people and we'll do everything we do, not based on that, but based on your word and its truth. So Father, if there's anybody that has heard this today, more importantly, has heard you through this today, whether here or streaming. I pray that that convicting and drawing power of your spirit, Father, would break that person's heart to where they would believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and be saved. We pray in his name. Amen. God bless you.